if we're not good listeners, we can't ask curious questions. And I think those curious questions are critical to our learning because what it does is it, it, it helps you build your creativity and, and everyone has different levels of creativity, but it's that creativity that makes the, this industry so much fun. And we are here to create magical experiences for people on vacation, especially on Miami beach, you know, other hotels in different cities have a different uh, focus, but here, these are creating magical experiences. People come here, they get off a plane from maybe a cold climate. They walk out, they see Miami beach. Everything we do should be a magical experience. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Amy Johnson, the general manager of the Confidant Miami Beach Hotel. Amy, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I am thrilled to be here, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into this. So our first question we always ask is, how did you get started in this beautiful industry of hospitality? What was your first job in this industry? Well, you know, my first job, and I don't know always that we plan this, but my first job was uh, working in a summer um, position, trying to get ready to go to college, which was in a, in a huge uh, baseball camp. And I was doing the food services and, and uh, all of those things, making money to eventually get, get to college, which is, uh, was a great start, great learning experience. And what city were you in when you first started? Uh, well, I'm Canadian, so I was in a little town called Oliver, British Columbia. Wow, and they had a baseball camp there. I love to see it. Very yes. Cool. Yes. So now you started there. Did you go to college for hospitality? Is that kind of spark it, or is that kind of how you started progressing? Yes, actually, I went more for business. Uh, in Canada, there was only a couple um, universities at the time that would have offered a hospitality program, uh, not like it is today. Uh, so I, my focus was more business, uh, eventually wanting to own my own uh, business. Wasn't sure what that was, but that was really my plan. And when I started out in, uh, in college. That's great. So when did you start getting into the actual hotel part of the business or restaurants? Well, I think uh, I, I love the, the food and beverage side, of course, you know, I'm a student. So, you know, it was always fun to go out and about and decided that, uh, you know, let's uh, let's try 
bartending. Let's try being a server because you could make uh, very different uh, money to pay for college that way. And then realized when I did it in a hotel, I fell in love with it. And uh, I think that started my love affair with hotels. And which hotel were you first working at? Uh, my first brand that I worked with was Delta Hotels in Canada when it was still privately owned. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I worked with them for um, through college and then over the next uh, eight years. So is that where you started as the server and then bartender was at the Delta Hotels? Delta Hotels uh, in a great little um, part, the Okanagan Valley, which is the other wine capital of, uh, of Canada. Uh, and so I worked with them and then came back and went into to banquets and uh, restaurants, you know, supervisor, manager, and then worked my way through operations. I love it. So you started growing. So you, I love that you started that hotel, right? And then you became the director of banquets for that hotel, right? Is I following that correctly? Yes, Which you is are. one of the, the toughest roles, I feel like, in food and beverage. So what was that like? So you kind of grow, you start moving up. You get to director of banquets at that hotel. What was that experience like for you? Well, you know, Steve, as probably many of us uh, that have been in the industry for, for many, many years, uh, we were very fortunate, I think, at that time to still have a lot of, um, you know, quite a strong European influence, especially in Canada in the food and beverage side. So I was learning from a director of F&B who came from Italy, uh, had been with Weston and, and different brands. And so it helped me. Uh, I think really learn the business through the lens of excellence. And I, I can't be thankful enough uh, for that. I, I wouldn't call that brand necessarily a, a high luxury tier, mm -hmm. but the way that he led us as a team, he looked at it through the lens of, of luxury uh, because of his training in Switzerland and his upbringing, I, I think was a tremendous influence on some of the young leaders uh, in Delta at that time who helped us just be phenomenal. So it was, it was really fantastic. Uh, you're correct. I think it is a banquets, you know, I think is a little bit like housekeeping. There's, there's hundreds of moving parts. And when you have a phenomenal um, sales uh, team supporting you, you're probably turning those rooms significantly uh, and often. And, and I think that takes a different level of expertise uh, that I'm glad I learned in the first role. It was like it was like doing the, the toughest one first. Right. And with banquets, you know, you, it seems like you have to be passionate about that. It's very different than restaurants, right? Like, how would you tell somebody if they've never done it as they're coming up the difference between being in the restaurant part of the hotel and the banquet part of the hotel? They're, they're two different businesses. They are. I mean, I, I think the restaurant has a finesse of service that's that's beautiful. And us as foodies like you and I are, we, we love that from the experience perspective. I think from a, a young leader today, if whenever they're sitting in front of me talking about their transition, I always recommend banquets like I would a rooms person housekeeping, because I think strategically it teaches you skills that are very different than what you're going to learn in the restaurant. And, and I think those strategic skills, one of them that's my favorite is problem solving because there's always going to be a double booked room. There's always going to be something interesting happening. And I, and I think that, that being on the banquet side, you learn so many facets. You have to work very closely with engineering. You have to work closely with culinary. You, you know, you really, as one GM told me once, you know, Amy, when you're overseeing a, an event, you're like the GM of the hotel because you need to be working with everyone to do it well and to do it efficiently. So I, I think that was a, a good learning for me. 
That's actually a good point. I'm going to make a note of that for after our, as we get later in the conversation. But then you start transitioning, right? So you're at the Delta Hotel. You're doing a great job there. And then Fairmont looks like either comes knocking or you go find them. What happens there? Yes, I've been very fortunate not to have to go knocking uh, in my career. So yep. Fairmont, uh, Delta moved me around Canada a little bit. Then I ended up in Calgary and then Fairmont came uh, and recruited me. Uh, that was a tremendous transition because then you go from a solid four-star brand to truly a luxury tier. Uh, this would have been, Steve, when Fairmont was Canadian Pacific. So they had those grand, gorgeous hotels all through Canada that were built to support the expansion of the railroad as Canada was being developed. So many of the hotels were built in the early 1900s. Um, so that comes with its own interesting oh, wow. set of, of things when it comes to, you know, um, are they banquet rooms or function rooms? And generally you might not say they're functional because of the age and, and what they were like, but they were absolutely stunning. And then learning to that level, going from more of a group focus to, to, to just beautiful weddings uh, and the most extravagant weddings, uh, you know, working at the Bamp Springs uh, and Lake Louise and, and the Palliser in Calgary, just phenomenal experience. What would you find as the biggest change, right? Because like you said, Delta Hotel, solid four star, then you go to this ultra luxury brand, yeah. beautiful palace kind of looking hotels, right? Because I was looking online at the places that you were at. What was the biggest difference to you? Was it something you really liked? That big jump? Yeah. I, I, well, I think there was a few things, right? I was still a, a young leader. You know, I hadn't quite hit my, my 30s yet. And so it was my first union property. So that was, that was an interesting learning. The, the union executive all were in my team. It was a very okay. large team. Uh, and it was great because I, I really learned a whole other facet of leadership because it, it is different. Uh, so I think that, that was a positive. And, you know, interesting in preparing for today, the times where you are feeling the most um, kind of sometimes in a bit of a vice or a grip, that's when you're actually learning your most. It may not feel like that when you're a young new manager. It might feel like this is uncomfortable and I think I should move over there or over here. However, when you reflect back on those moments, if you do allow yourself to move through them, they're going to be your greatest learning. And I think that that hotel for me, from a leadership perspective, was my greatest learning and also understanding true customer service and anticipating guest needs and going above and beyond. Uh, I, I think both of those were happening uh, for me. It was quite a pinnacle shift in my my journey. That's amazing to hear. I mean, was there certain things that stick out from that time that was like, wow, that was really tough and challenging? I'm sure you have one or two that are still yeah. in there. You know, I worked with um, a person who I still consider a mentor, like I did with Delta, and uh, he had been a director of catering and in the Palliser for many, many years. So uh, he called me one day and he said, you know, we had the ballroom set, stunning, the crystal ballroom, stunning room, set for a beautiful wedding. And uh, he said, put the lighting level as the guests will see it when they come in the door and then come meet me. So I come downstairs, I'm in the ballroom, I don't see him. So I call him on the radio. He says, no, I'm, I'm in the main foyer. So we go to the foyer. He closes the doors to the ballroom and he says, let's enter and see what the guests see. And I thought, okay, mm -hmm. you know, I'd never done this before. So I enter, we stand at the door and we go from one end of the room to the next. And he says, what do you see? And I said, well, I think there's a crooked table number. There's this or that. He went through the room and he had 12 things that he felt could be better. And I think it was at that moment that I thought, 
wow. He said, if we see those things, the customer will never see them because they're never going to look to that level of detail. So it was just, it was learning a level of, of detail, working with him that was unbelievable, that was life-changing for me because now I look at things and probably make other leaders I work with now um, probably have moments of, wow, she's very on all these things. But I think I, I learned that skill from him because of, of what he did. So I, I think that was incredible. And when you're working in luxury brands in this business, customers do see those things and their expectations, um, people say are high, but really that, that's what they should be. That's true. And for listeners out there, I've walked with Amy in her hotel and she notices every light, the scent, what the temperature is, she will tell you and she knows it. She has that high degree of focus on inspecting what you expect, right? That was yes. the key. And I keep telling all the young leaders that walk your spaces, look at what's going on. So I'm happy to hear that you shared that. So you do a great job at Fairmont. You were there for a long time, six years, which is a good chunk of time to be there. And mm -hmm. then, like you said, Hyatt comes knocking. And this is a very different kind of brand. So explain to me, how did that transition happen? Well, I think that was also a, a very fortunate transition. The hotel was being built uh, in Calgary uh, by a local owner. And I knew the person quite well because all of their events for the family and corporation were hosted at the Fairmont. Oh. Uh, and so he, he had a beautiful eye for detail. I mean, this hotel could have been a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton, and it's truly a, a stunning hotel. And he wanted to hand select people, you know, to, to work in his hotel. Of course, he didn't know what any of the titles were. He didn't, this was his only hotel in his big portfolio of other businesses. And so he, uh, he shared with the GM at the, the opening of the Hyatt, you should go across to the Fairmont and hire Amy and she should be here. So eventually I ended up there uh, as, as director of banquets, uh, very different uh, operation. It was connected to the convention center. And for, for Canada, it was a large hotel. It had, you know, over 40,000 square feet of meeting space and then attached mm -hmm. to 150,000 square feet of space. So we, we did a lot of group business. But we also, it uh, was interesting, Steve, because uh, they built the ballroom where the ceilings were completely um, left open. So you could do unbelievable stuff. So it really, you know, all of a sudden the bar bat mitzvah market took on a very different perspective because you got super creative. And I think that was the time in my career, uh, started going to the special events conferences, really looking at it through a very different lens on, you know, events started to evolve, um, event producers started to become more prevalent uh, in Canada. So I, I think we really took, took what events and creating an experience, now we call activations, to a level I had never seen before. It was really an amazing time in the business in the 2000s where that, I think, transitioned where people realized, wow, we can create magic for our company, for our wedding, whatever it is. And so I think it was a really interesting time. And, and Fairmont, uh, you know, was very focused on the luxury. And then to combine that with my move to Hyatt to have both, uh, I think was, was truly a home run for me. It's interesting because most people who... Not most. I would say a, a large majority of director banquets, that's where they hang out. They don't really progress from there because uh, a, a well-paying job, yes, a high pressure, but you know what's coming and you have time off, right? Uh, but you continue to grow. What is the next step from there when you were at that hotel? 
so the director of, of uh, catering at the time had come from Weston because, of course, when they opened the Hyatt, we wouldn't have had, you know, very many Hyatts in Canada. So they drew on a lot of the other brands to put together the team. And I knew that director of uh, catering from the Weston for many years. And then he was transitioning to be um, hotel manager. So he said to me, I'd like you to take on the director of catering. And I said, well, I, I don't know how to sell. He goes, yeah, you just, just be yourself. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd uh, advice. What does that mean exactly? And so I thought, you know, what the heck? I, I, I'm passionate about it. So I started, um, you know, I had a large quota, took over his huge accounts, all the big galas and, and some of the corporate events. And uh, I, I fell in love with it and realized I was a natural salesperson. Yeah, so how did you transition, right? Because Director Banquets, you're selling, you're upselling. Right. To go into that role of being the head of catering and events is very different, right? It's a contract based, very detail oriented. You know, I can't think of many directors of banquets that would transition. What was that like for you? Well, I, I think you quickly realize when you move away from the operation, especially an operation like like banquets where you have an army of people that you can dispatch at any time and get a lot of things done. When you move into this role, yes, you, I had a large team, but they're all working on their own things. So there's there's no dispatching of, of orders to help them get through your day. So to transition to a quota and selling and then leading a team to do better, uh, you know, it definitely, I think, was a was a challenging transition to figure out how to prioritize your day differently because you were relying on you. Uh, and, and when you have both customers and your leading managers uh, and, and responsible for making the financials, I think that those three together were like, it felt overwhelming. But as you, as I got into it and realized, well, I know this, I know, I know the menu, I know the food, I know the wines, I know the space better than anyone. Okay. So really I do know that part. Then it was then learning how to lead other people to close business um, and develop the relationships with customers. And I realized that I, it, it came natural. I, I think, Steve, when you're on the floor in operations, you get used to dealing with the customers face-to-face. -face. So you can't, you know, put them on hold. You can't go away and look at something. You, you know, they're there. You're, you're having to solve whatever uh, has come up immediately and be resourceful. So then to move to more of a, you know, phone conversations, to me, seemed like an easier transition because the customer is still there, of course, but you know, they're, they're, it's a different medium. So for me, I really enjoyed it. And I loved sitting with customers and entertaining them. Uh, I loved the food and beverage side of it. Um, and, and I think the connections, because at the end of the day, hotels is about people and connections. And, and I think I, I realized that all of the things that had come before me just set me up for that. Uh, but I can tell you the first eight months were absolutely challenging and lots of seven days uh, in a row trying to, to learn it. And I think, but like you and I are the same, you, you know, you want to master something. It's not about being good at it. It's about being great at it. I love that. And you, you were great at it. You did that for just looking back in the research, like five years. Right. And then, but a big change comes, right? So you leave yes. your home of Canada. And so this is what I'm curious now, because you could have made a whole career in Canada and, and grown there. What brings you to the U.S.? So Hyatt O'Hare at the time would have been Hyatt's flagship. 
Uh, it was uh, an owned uh, hotel at the time. Well, we, we still weren't public at this point. Uh, and so they were um, embarking on $180 million renovation. Uh, lots wow. of it, in the, lots of it in the meeting space, lots of it in the public spaces, not really the guest rooms and some infrastructure. So they, the direct, the um, SVP at the time that oversaw the, the events and group side of the business at the corporate office said, who can we get that can come and have a nice mix of group business and bring back uh, social event business to this hotel that used to be iconic in its time. So they reached out to me to to go down and, and have a conversation. And I remember arriving at the hotel pre-renovation thinking, wow, this is a very, very different for me coming because, you know, in Canada, your hotels traditionally are smaller. Uh, you know, there's only two or three hotels in all of Canada, over a thousand rooms. Um, so you look through the lens of not necessarily keys, but you look through it through the lens of quality and, and how do you build on that? So I'm looking at this hotel, looking at the, the, uh, the renderings for the renovation, thinking, okay, this is, you know, this is amazing. If they can, you know, get from here to there, it really will be truly a beautiful product. And so at the time they said, you know, we'd like you to come on, take this on with a new director of sales, director of events, um, and really work with the ops team and then also work on the sales side, uh, but not have, not have a quota, none of that, just really be a leader in a really large hotel. And so in the end, I ended up transitioning and it was an unbelievable experience to be, you know, at construction meetings at 6 a.m. hearing things. I'm thinking, I don't even know what half of this means, but, you know, and managing the construction because it was impacting all the group business and the event business because it was overlapping in the meeting space. And so uh, it was truly an incredible uh, experience. And we, you know, the projections that they were anticipating for, you know, the group room ADR growth and, and F&B um, spend, uh, we exceeded in less than a year uh, by just doing a few things differently as we approached the renovation. And I think um, it was a, a fantastic experience. Um, the ops team, you know, very senior. It's always great when you meet an ops team where the captains have been in place for 20 years. Uh, and 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 really great at what they do, and so the transition of this was was fantastic, and to completely rebuild the food and beverage offerings, uh, and be part of that both in the um, from the venues and the meeting space was was incredible. So what was it like when when you left and you told your your family and friends? Were they saying you're crazy? Were they supportive? Say go go chase those dreams. You know, cause that's a big big decision to make. Yeah, I think, um, you know, at the time, I didn't know that I was looking to be a GM because I just always loved the position I was in. I was never um, looking that far down the road. And so I think, um, you know, for for Canadians, they look at it through the lens of, of that quality so that they're looking at, OK, well, are you going to the Park Hyatt? What hotel are you going to? And so I so I think it was an interesting thing, like, wow, you're going to this huge convention box. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it was definitely a ways away from my family. Uh, but, you know, my dad encouraged me and said, you can go get this, make it happen. It's going to be the best move you've ever made. And it was interesting. I worked for an SVP back in Fairmont days and he called me um, and he said, you know, I mean, this is a great move. He said um, the, the 
American perspective on hospitality is very, very different. And I think it will really grow your career in a way you haven't seen yet. And he said, and the best thing he said is now you have three brands. He said, most people in the business that we know in our current time, they've only ever worked for one brand, maybe two. And he said, so I think it's really phenomenal that still at your time as a leader, that you've now worked for three brands because it will really be phenomenal. And then to then go work in the same brand for such a different hotel uh, will be uh, phenomenal for you. I'll come back to your time there, but you hit something that I'm just curious about. So what is the biggest difference between Canada and the U.S.? I had never thought about that when you talk about the hospitality difference. You know, as I gave the example of the, the Hyatt when it was being built in Calgary, you know, that was large meeting space connected to a convention space. But in the U.S., there wouldn't be a convention um, center with 140,000 square feet in some of our hotels, uh, whether it's, you know, Hyatt, Lowe's, Marriott, that could be that could be one hotel's meeting space. Mm -hmm. So coming to to O'Hare, uh, you know, that was a big shift because it was 110,000 square feet of space attached to 1.2 million. So numbers I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that was that was a big difference. I think, you know, the birthplace of Four Seasons was Canada. You know, that's so that's that's an iconic Canadian brand. I, I think that they always looked at hotels as a very small, more boutique style. Right. So now you're coming to the US and there's these massive brands. And even the brands in Canada, when you look at the Marriott's, they're nothing to the size of the US. So I think the population in the US has changed what the needs are of hotels. And so it was really incredible to come and, and learn that side of the business uh, and, and how it worked. So I, I think it was, uh, was very, very interesting for me. I also think that the, um, the level of service in the US is different than, than Canada. Um, both very good, it's just the approach is different. And, uh, but I, I think that blending them both, Steve has been, um, you know, a success for me and a strength to, to take a large box and still look through the lens of a tent of luxury service is not easy, as you and I both know, right. but able to facilitate that with the team and get them to look at the little details in a big convention box sets you apart. You, I've learned a lot just from that conversation. So I appreciate you sharing that part with me. So as you're now going back to Chicago, you help open up this mega hotel. They must see that you are a, a star on the rise because now you hit this a corporate level. And I've never been in a corporate level. And so I'm curious to you because your title was a very interesting one. I'm curious to tell me what was that like transitioning from the hotel to now a corporate level? You know, it was it was amazing when um, when the person I reported to came and, and chatted with me. Uh, and I think because we had such success at O'Hare, uh, I, I think he was looking at it, I thought he was looking at it through the lens of that success. And yes, I think he was, but I think it was more what we did that was quite innovative at the time to transition that hotel. So when he uh, brought me to the corporate office, uh, my role was to support all of the hotels. Um, and at the time, I, I think we had 150 hotels uh, that we were directly um, interacting with. And what was the title of that role that you took on? That was corporate director um, of events uh, and event operations, uh, working with both the group side of the business and the restaurant side. 
And so what we did is we had a team that would have people focused on the group sales, transient sales and event sales. But we worked alongside the operations team at the corporate office that worked on the restaurant and bar side, because, of course, there's a lot of um, integration of beverage programming, food programming and those processes. And when we would be at customer events, we often worked as a group to talk about Hyatt's food and beverage philosophies, which interconnected to the group side of our business. And I think that for Hyatt, it's a very group focused uh, company. Uh, I mean, now we've created the lifestyle brands and we have different things uh, that, that are evolving. But at that time, you know, Regency and Grand were our largest brands and very focused on, on group business. Uh, and so those operations teams and the sales and events and revenue teams uh, interacted closely. I really loved uh, the opportunity because you're traveling from hotel to hotel. Uh, and everyone would say, you know, uh, well, our hotel's unique. But then after you've gone to 100 of them, you think, well, I think there's unique moments or unique things, but the hotel's not completely unique. And it gave you an opportunity to see through a lens where you could bring solutions to them. So it felt really um, great to be able to collaborate with directors of sales, directors of catering, directors of F&B, and, and help them integrate things into their hotels that made them successful and help them be successful. So that was a very rewarding uh, part about that position, which I really, really enjoyed. Did you have people, because when you hear corporate now, so a lot of people on the property level say, oh, corporate's coming and they could be really good or really bad depending on where you work. Did you find when you were now getting to these hotels, the hundreds of hotels you visited, a lot of these roles that you are trying to help think they know it already, right? I don't need this help. How did you deal with that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think my time at O'Hare, because it's very close to the corporate office, and of course we were we were um, uh, a Hyatt Equity hotel at the time, uh, you know, the corporate was there a lot because we were doing the renovation. So I, I, you know, I all of a sudden knew everyone at the corporate office because they came by all the time. Right. Uh, and so I, I think it was through that renovation that I thought, okay, and I didn't realize I would be transitioning to a corporate role, but I think it was through that transition where you saw different approaches that would come. One saying, you know, this is the way we're going to do it. The other sitting down saying, hey, what do you, what do we think team? Could we, could we do this? Like now that the meeting space is built out, could we do this? So I, I think you quickly realize, oh, you know, the, the, the honey is a better way to approach everything. So when I got to the corporate office, the sales and events and revenue teams were very tight. And one of the advice my my leader gave me is, you know, your customer is now the hotels. So you're going to receive more email now than you've ever received. Please acknowledge in the same day. You may know the answer. You may not, but please acknowledge. So they know you're there because you're supporting them. And then I had another leader, uh, SVP that I worked with said, you know, you're going to be looking at numbers now that's really what you're going to know about the hotel before you get there but he said there's always a human element to the numbers so it's good to go and be curious and ask lots of questions walk around and see your predetermined ideas may make sense and be collaborative or they may not make sense and you realize that's why they don't do it that way so i think i had some great leaders that have been in their roles a long time that really helped me be successful in my approach and I think that it was important to go and, and share and be collaborative, to go and say, you know, your group pace is down. 
they they know that already because that's why you're there. So, you know, that's not helpful. But to say, hey, team, you know, looking at the lost and turned down, we saw this, we saw this. And, you know, what about this? Could we look at this segment of business? You know, could we look at this um, this area of the country? Is there opportunity over here? Uh, could we rebuild the wedding market? Could we change the pricing? Uh, and, and I think approaching it differently was was um, was huge for me because you really learn a lot from these hotels. I would always go away and be amazed at the things that you learn from listening to them and talking to their managers, asking them what's working, what's not working, was where I probably gleaned the most. That's awesome. And so you've done that. You did that for a long time. And then you make an interesting change, right? I'm curious. And, and you went back to a familiar place. So tell me about that next jump. Well, I think before I can fully answer that, I'll, I'll step back to the, to yeah. the corporate role for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, as my role evolved the, on the corporate team and we had regional teams, um, of course, I had my direct report boss. And then I started working with the SVPs that oversaw specific hotels. Uh, and I was working for three SVPs at the time. So I was involved in owners meetings and, and sat through and became very financially focused. Went through, of course, the 2008 recession when I joined the corporate office through to when things were really booming um, and had the opportunity to build a full um, you know, wedding certification program, was the person who headed up all of the group and event side for the beverage programming. Uh, did a lot of those things that was that were fantastic. And then from there, I was working in Paris. Um, we had had uh, done some acquisitions in Paris uh, and in France, and they didn't have their own regional teams yet. So a lot of the regional teams from, from North America were helping there. Uh, and so I had an opportunity to work in Europe uh, and support those hotels. How long were you there? You were based in Paris? So I was in Paris for over a month. I also worked in Vienna. I worked in uh, Birmingham, uh, England. Uh, I did some work in Chile. Uh, so I did, it was really fun to do those different um, yeah, that's awesome. roles and, and to learn from those teams and, and see how business is done very differently. Uh, so it was, it was fantastic. So I, I think that was uh, very exciting. And you know, also part of my role at the corporate office was to transition uh, sales and events um, in new hotels, whether we had purchased the hotel or we're building the hotel. So I really love that that side of it too on the revenue side. So when this came up, when I saw Calgary come up and I had now been on the path to be a GM at whatever point, I wasn't in any rush because uh, I was loving my current role. Uh, I put my name in the hat. And um, so then- And this is for was, the Hyatt Regency Calgary that you I, helped yes. open. Right. Right. So for so, a listener, going back to get a connect, connect story, this is where she really started taking off. Yeah. So I, I thought, wow, you know, I, I love the owner. Um, he was an amazing man. Uh, and I thought, you know, this could be a really interesting time. So I put my name in the hat and, and the thought was, well, you know, they're really looking for a second timer. And in the end, uh, I don't know what transpired. Uh, I went on with my my current role. Uh, and then I got a call from the SVP, you know, um, owner would like to, you know, wants you to come. And I said, oh, I, th- I thought he was looking for a second timer. And he said, well, he was until he heard your name. <laughs> and he said, no, no, Amy's like family. Send Amy. We, we'll figure it out. Uh, she, she'll make it happen. And Calgary was in a very going into a very deep recession with oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So a very challenging time. 
And I had been working um, with one of our SVPs doing um, a term what Hyatt calls Archer. So it's like a Carpedia uh, study, Steve, where you're looking at efficiencies, but also driving top line revenues. And I had done a few of them around the country. They were very, very intriguing, amazing opportunity. So when I, I took the role, uh, it was exciting to go back. Uh, but to look at the numbers was like, ooh, wow. You know, oil and gas had, um, you know, at the time when I was transitioning to Calgary, had dropped to $74 a barrel. Uh, it was when I left at 140, just to give reference. Mm -hmm. And everyone thought it wouldn't drop below 100. And in February, it dropped to $26 a gallon. So, or a barrel, sorry. And I thought, wow, it literally like was the sky falling. So all of the things from my regional visits, from being in owner's meetings, being in these Archer style visits, working very closely with the SVP that helped me uh, learn how to do all of those things. We turned the hotel around and we, we right-sized it. Um, you know, it had kind of gone with the same model and that model didn't work because we went from running as a 354 room hotel to basically with the occupancies at a hundred room hotel. Wow. So now you have to be very innovative. Uh, so you're learning to be a GM and you're having to literally reimagine the entire org chart and how is what's best for the hotel and maintaining a level of service that was both a group driven hotel and very um, highly rated business tra uh, business transient. So it was interesting. So what was it like finally getting in that role, sitting in that chair, that first kind of weekend at your office as a GM, did you feel like, wow, I, I made the role that I wanted? Or was it just like, oh, I've been here this hotel before. They all know me, which is also a little weird. How did that feel when you, when you were there? Well, it was very emotional, actually, because I think, um, and you know, you've been in the business so many years. I mean, we might think we're going to be a GM, but the GM in a hotel, especially when you look at when we grew up in the business, it's kind of this iconic, I don't know, they're, they're you know, when you're a young leader, and yeah. I think back to my, you know, I've been in the business 34 years, I mean, they're kind of godlike right? They were Mr. or well, it was, wouldn't have been a miss, but a Mr. for sure. Uh, and, and you just looked at them like they knew everything. And, uh, you know, kind of like we look at, at doctors or we look at that kind of thing. It was just, yes. to me, it was this, it was wow. Like, yeah. Bigger than life sometimes. Something bigger than life. They must yes. know everything, right? They, yes. They've got an answer for everything. And so, uh, you know, and you're used to working in one division or maybe two. And, and now, you know, uh, the week I went back was the week before, two weeks before Christmas in December, and they were having their holiday party and in the ballroom because the ballroom is there is massive. And I'm being introduced. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is like I got quite the clamp. I was like, this is this is wild. Like there's 50 people sitting in this room out of 180 colleagues that were colleagues with me on day one. It's amazing. It was amazing. And so, <clears throat> so it was uh, emotional, but extremely humbling to get up to that podium in front of everybody bringing a plus one, you know, over 400 people. And it was like a homecoming. I felt like the prodigal daughter returning, you know, because they'd never had a Canadian GM because, you know, because, because we were Chicago based, the right. GM traditionally came out of, out of the U S so, I mean, you know, now I'm coming back. They know me. I'm Canadian. It was just, I mean, it was a, it was a huge transition. So it was, it was incredible to be in that role. 
Uh, and I think when you ask the question, when I always tell people, you know, I, as, as you know, when you're in your career running, you know, the F&B division, the group, whatever division, you know, people like us are the best at it and you find a way. Well, now, you know, your, your title is general manager and, you know, I'm not a generalist. So I just tried to run everybody's department and quickly within six months realized this is not how this works. Right. So, uh, you know, going through it and, and they were obviously very gracious and knew me. So it was a growing pains that everybody um, allowed me to go through. But I, I think that in that transition, I realized, OK, for us to get through this very challenging time in Calgary and in Alberta with the energy sector and what was going on, I needed to lead um, it was. And, and I needed to do that. So I, I think that the transition was, I think, at first a little clunky. But, you know, the the owner at the time pulled me aside. Um, you know, he's done extremely well in business, said to me, in the good times, Amy, you prepare for the bad. And in the bad, you prepare for the good. And we're in a very challenging time. But please, please don't make short term decisions because this is going to be a long haul. This recession is going to be maybe five to six years based on the one we had before that was equally as difficult. It took six, seven years to get out. So please be mindful. And you know, Steve, that's something that we don't always do in our business because we're having to manage, well, this month, this cost is up or down. And you're making those decisions based on that month. And I, I remember walking away thinking, Wow, that's that's really awesome advice. Only to realize in the next year and a half how awesome it was, uh, and the decisions we made to manage through that time, always through that lens and the impact of that. That's great advice, especially uh, what's going on now these last two years, right? A lot of people have made short-term decisions that have really hurt their brand and their hotels and their teams. Yes, and you can see the ones that took a longer-term view. Now that you're saying it, are thriving, and they're the ones that are succeeding. It's interesting to see that play out. They are. And, you know, I think, Steve, what we didn't know at the beginning of this pandemic is what staffing shortages were going to come at the, on the other side of it. We just mm -hmm. thought, oh, we'll just hire everybody back and on we'll go. Uh, and on Miami Beach, very, very fortunate that we have the demand we have. And, you know, the hotels are running 90, 95 percent occupancy um, and, and, you know, tremendous demand. And now trying to find those people but i think that you're you're correct in that when i look through the lens when we closed during the pandemic i thought okay this is going to be life-changing there's no playbook so what do we need to do and you know the initial thought everybody was just you know not keeping any of their salespeople. and i thought no but for sales you're, you're selling for two years from now right and no one thought for a minute we would still be having masks on or going through this two years from now. We, I mean, I think people thought it might go on, but maybe not to the extent it has. And so, I mean, no, 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 let's get creative in how we do that. Like, you know, let's let's figure out, you know, week on, week off. I mean, we tried every certain way to manipulate it to ensure that everyone could keep their their positions, yeah. but still meet the, the guideline you needed to meet, of course, financially and being fiscally responsible during a, a, a challenging time. And I think that helped us because when we came out and we took off, we were ready. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been extremely positive. So I want to come back to that, but before we jump to what's happening in Miami beach, you're in Calgary, you're, you know, the chosen one coming back home, <laughs> I could say in Calgary, but now you come to my hometown and in Miami beach, how did that 
part occur when you make that transition from being the first time GM now second time, but coming to a completely different place, you know, Miami beach and, and Calgary are, I think you can say complete opposites. How did that occur? Well, I, I think there were many, many factors when we were in Calgary going through that recession and having to, you know, go through all of those pieces. Uh, of course, people were looking at our percentage of improvement on profitability. Uh, and, and we were one of the very best in the region. Uh, not dollar wise, of course, because you're in a recession, but just that shows you that you've gained an efficiency and you've scaled a model that's workable at 70% or 30% occupancy. So I think as we went through that and then started to work on the customer service scores, all of the metrics were moving in the right, uh, right way. And uh, this hotel here in Miami Beach, uh, being a, a Hyatt asset, you know, I was hand selected uh, to come and be at the confidant. Um, I think for many reasons, right? I mean, obviously I had lots of very good relationships at the corporate office from my time there. Uh, and what the, the need was for us to continue to build on the successes of the hotel, we just added a, a fair amount of meeting space, uh, especially for Miami Beach and beautiful meeting space and ballrooms. So we were looking to transition the group side of our business also looking to grow the transient side uh, and then to change the, the service culture. So, you know, I think that hand selection happened when, you know, it was the regional teams that said, hey, why don't we bring Amy back? Look what's happened in Calgary. But that can translate uh, over here and maybe collaboratively we can continue this, this success uh, here. And so when the person I replaced transitioned, uh, that's how that happened. And it worked out very, very well uh, to come here. And we're rebuilding the, the team in, in Miami. But yeah, I can tell you, Steve, it was a, a market like none other. It was, it was, it's a transition to come here because I think Miami Beach, to me, you know, when I explained it to my family in Canada, I said, it's a little bit like Vegas without the casino because it doesn't sleep. It's very uh, multicultural, it's amazing ethnicity. The focus on food and beverage and nightlife, uh, having fun, uh, you know, the, the beach feel, uh, just the, the feel of Miami Beach is, is very different. And I think the demand is, is a destination, right? And I think when you look at the US, you know, people select Hawaii and then select a brand. They select Miami Beach, then they find a brand that works. They select Vegas and then find a brand. I can't say that about any other place when you look at that through that lens of both leisure and group business, maybe maybe a little bit Orlando, but really those three have some similarities from the selection process. And, and I think the demand doesn't seem to impact us what's happening in the rest of the country because people just love coming here, whether it's Latin America, Europe, drive traffic. And so it's been an interesting, uh, an interesting journey for me to understand the pricing, how it works on the beach, uh, and the culture of the beach. And, you know, I feel more at home here than lots of cities uh, in the US, because I think Miami is a beautiful place because it accepts every culture because there's so many of them. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, you just hear when I'm running on the boardwalk after work, I hear like eight languages as I'm running by. Like it's it's really fantastic. And I think that's what makes this such an amazing city when it comes to food and beverage, it comes to the restaurants, it comes to our art scene, theater, 
it truly is all the great things in one place. It's true. And, you know, for people who have not been here, I use my dad's joke. So my dad's from North Carolina. His friends ask him, how is it living, you know, in Miami, Miami Beach? Like, I love it here. It's so close to the United States. Right. That's his <laughs> that's his go to dad joke that I have now taken over as being a father. So that's I use awesome. that. But it's true. And you're doing some amazing things at at the Confidant Hotel. And for listeners, if you haven't checked it out, you should go look at the website because there is a beautiful setting that she has there and she's making some amazing things happen. So what's on the horizon now for you? Cause you, like you talked a little bit about the pandemic really challenging. You've come out of it now, everywhere I look, there's cranes going up, constructing new things. There's more and more people coming. How do you see things for you and, and your team at the hotel? Well, I, I think for us, the year of, of 2022, we we've kind of, uh, I think settled on one word, Steve is our mantra and it's going to be stability. Uh, I, I think it's so important in these times for for us to know our business. Of course, in hotels, you have ownership, you have you have corporate teams supporting everyone's there, but they're expecting us to know what's the best thing for the hotel. And I think finding stability for our teams is going to be critical, making sure the staffing levels are as they should be and really supporting the success and rewarding them. Uh, it's a challenging time to be in the service business, whether it's hotels, airlines, uh, retail. And, and so I think that stability is going to be a focus of all the leaders in the hotel because I want our colleagues to feel how much we care for them and appreciate them coming every day and, and showing up uh, and, and being here with their, being them best, how do we make, how do we help them be their best selves? And so that stability and finding the right people in the right roles at the right time is going to be our number one focus for 2022. Uh, again, being fortunate in Miami Beach, Steve, with our demand, business is coming our way and we're very blessed uh, to have that. So now it's focusing on on our, our people even more than we ever have and giving back to them and, and creating that um, great place to work where, you know, they get to go on stage, but they get to have fun and fun is key. And I think the going through the pandemic we, we lost some fun. And how do we bring fun back? And, and I think that's, that's a really important piece for every leader in our building right now is how do we bring fun back? God, I love that. Your team is lucky to have you there. You know, I think that's going to be great for them to see, to really get back to that fun. Because that really did get sucked out. And I felt it um, yeah. a lot too. In every hotel, you see it. There's a little bit of stress, but putting that fun back in makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've had this amazing journey of a career, right? You have traveled the world. You're GMs of some beautiful hotels. But if you were talking to Amy at the baseball camp, she's starting her career today. What advice would you give young Amy if she was starting out now? I, I would say a couple of things. Uh, and I, I touched on it earlier, Steve, but I think that I would say each, each, of, your, each of your steps as you go along in your journey uh, even if it means you you maybe move out of the industry and back into the industry, they're all building blocks and they're all critical to your development. And it may not seem relevant at the time, and that's okay. Uh, take the good and, and continue on. But I can guarantee that at some point you'll be in a difficult decision or a challenging situation. And you're going to look back and draw on each of those things and realize, ah, okay, I didn't realize I learned that then, but now I have it and I can apply it here. Uh, so I think that's that's a, a good thing. And I think the other piece is it's important to be present, be curious, 
listen and ask great questions. When you're learning through your career, uh, you know, the thing that's happened for us, Steve, that's different for our young leaders coming up, we didn't have devices the same way. We didn't have things at our fingertips. You could Google everything. You know, you and I had to find it a different way. That's, that's both are great. I, I think though, that when you're, when you're learning, it's, it's being attention to the present moment and asking great questions and really listening. Uh, I think it's really important as a leader with young leaders to be present. Uh, and if we're, if we're not good listeners, we can't ask curious questions. And I think those curious questions are critical to our learning because what it does is it, it, it helps you build your creativity and, and everyone has different levels of creativity, but it's that creativity that makes the, this industry so much fun. Uh, and it, and it keeps the fun in it. And we're here to create magical experiences for people on vacation, especially on Miami beach, you know, other hotels in different cities have a different uh, focus, but here, these are creating magical experiences. People come here, they get off a plane from maybe a cold climate, they walk out, they see Miami beach. Everything we do should be a magical experience. And I think that's that creativity being alive and well is, is a good thing. And the piece that you and I didn't learn well in the business that we have to teach now is the balance. That's true. It's learning balance. I think balance, you know, when you look at the, the millennial group coming up now, their focus on life balance, I think is, is absolutely fantastic. And, and we have to find a way to do that so that one day they would like to be in the roles that we're in. That's true. I think that's great advice and a, and a good spot to wrap our conversation. So Amy, if, if someone has a curious question and wants to connect with you, where can they, where can people connect with you? Uh, well, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It's the most amazing source of, of uh, information. Uh, and I'm not sure, Steve, if you're going to share my information, but they absolutely can send me an email. Uh, and as you said, stop by the hotel. Uh, I love, love chatting with people. I'm very passionate about the business and uh, love hotels. I'm a bit of a hotel geek. Uh, you and I have that in common. So it's a good thing. Yeah, it's true. And I encourage everyone check out the website, look at her hotel. It is a beautiful place. I vouch for it. You should definitely come and visit Miami beach and stay at that hotel. Well, Amy, I appreciate all your time that you spent with me today. I know how busy you are. Uh, we can hear your calendar alerts going off and I know that it kind of you want to check and see what's going on i have that going on too um but i appreciate you taking the time the info you shared is going to be fantastic for all the people coming up well thank you steve and i look forward to continuing working with you absolutely well once again we appreciate it check out amy johnson at the confidant miami beach hotel thank you this podcast is brought to you by biscayne coffee biscayne coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.
This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.